Welcome back, everyone, to episode seven of the Dice Pirates podcast, where we bring you the best of tabletop gaming. Today, we're going to be talking about games that you can play with your kids. I am your Captain Ian, joined by the chef, Matt. How you doing, Matt? I'm doing great. I'm the chef. I'm cooking up some dope reviews and insights here on the Dice Pirates, a recipe for success with your chef, Matt. Definitely wanted to get you as far away from the explosives as possible after the mishap last time. Look, that wasn't my fault. And frankly, I think the, the insurance company is going to honor that claim. So I think the payout's going to be good. Well, we can only hope. Maybe we'll actually get a profit off of this thing somehow. We also have today with us a returning guest in Aaron. How are you doing today, Aaron? Uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I do feel a little pigeonholed. You know, this is the second time you guys have had me on. And both times it's been a basically focused around the fact that I don't have any friends to play games with. Yes, our resident expert on loneliness, Aaron. <laughs> I mean, if the shoe fits, you know. It, yeah, I guess. Well, we're very glad to have you on regardless, Aaron. I am very curious, uh, what have you been playing lately? Because I know we have a lot of games we want to get to, but I'm curious as to what you've been uh, doing yourself. I actually just got in a, uh, a game a few weeks ago called Chiseled. It's a reverse deck builder. Basically, you start off with a giant deck full of junk cards. And then as you're playing, the goal is to refine it down. There's no market to buy cards from. There's just a market of tools. It's themed around chiseling a marble statue. So you have a bunch of cards that are the rubble bits that get carved off the statue. So you have to kind of bid on the tools in the marketplace to use those to whittle down your deck to get the highest score possible. It's a really interesting take on a on a deck builder. That is interesting. So you're building your workbench of tools. Is it just a deck builder with more steps or how does that work? The tools basically they don't ever leave the central market area. Um, you just kind of the the ones that are available, you take one and then now no one else can use it until all the other ones have been used. So it's just more about kind of strategically knowing what's in your hand that you can afford to get rid of, what's in your deck that you can afford to get rid of. Because a lot of the tools will just have you kind of burn cards out of your deck either until you get to a certain type of card and you may accidentally get rid of cards that you needed in order to get the you know, the high score for that uh, set, because you have like three sets of cards. You've got the the head, the abdomen, and, you know, the limbs. And you, you have to have the perfect ratio of all three of them in your final deck at the end of the game. I really like the sound of that just because it's a different theme. And that's something we touched on in our last episode is like so many board games have this familiar rut of like, zombie ninja vikings and dragons and uh you know a, a game centered around uh being a sculptor is just out of left field and different and that's uh i think anytime you get something to the table that puts you in a different headspace and there's a different theme that's always really interesting yeah that's that's definitely part of what attracted me to it in the first place was you know a game about carving a marble statue because that's just a wild thing yeah no, i really like games that do try to do something a little bit different matt what have you been playing lately well, I wanted to talk about a game that we played uh, together with the uh, Sunday Night Dice Pirates group recently, which is Sky Traders, which is kind of an obscure-ish 2012 release from Fantasy Flight Games that I'm not even sure if it's still in print anywhere, but it's a uh, pretty fun little uh, steampunk-esque uh, pirate game of airships and uh, uh, high adventure in the skies. It's, uh, it's, I would say it's, it's solidly decent. It's got some flaws, but uh, I like its theming. I like the feel of it. Essentially, it's a pick up and drop off game. Uh, pick up uh, spices or goods from uh, one port and uh, take it to another to sell for profit. The thing that makes it interesting is uh, a market phase that plays out between rounds where all of the uh, players can bid to influence the price of uh, goods in the market. So this gets some really interesting negotiations going because if you've picked up a huge load of uh, wine from one port, obviously you want the price of wine to go up, but other players could try to drive it down. So there's a lot of finagling and negotiating that happens where you try to work together to get a favorable market condition for you to make a profitable sell. The other thing that spices the game up is a fairly brutal event deck 
on your turn, you draw from the ill winds uh, deck to see what terrible thing has befallen you on your uh, turn. And sometimes it is absolutely brutal. I mean, th there was one round where I had loaded up on sludge, which is this uh, uh, element of the game's economy where the ships produce like waste that you can, uh, you can pick up sludge and haul it off for profit. And I drew an ill wind card that actually caused all the sludge in my, uh, ship to explode and almost bankrupted me for the entire game early which was fairly brutal but um i don't know i like it uh, i would definitely not say the game is uh for everybody i think the randomness of that deck can make it brutal but if you're willing to kind of laugh at it and have a good time and enjoy the pirate steampunk theming then i think you can have some fun with it if you can find a copy and i bet you can find a copy for cheap out there since the game is not a uh, particularly beloved game i don't think i bet you could find one in a a thrifter and a used marketplace for a decent value. Yeah, it's definitely not a game that made a big splash. Um, it shares a lot of similar mechanics to uh, the Firefly board game, um, which definitely had uh, probably more people that uh, really care about it. Um, yeah, that I, I really enjoy that game. I think it's one of those that takes a couple fairly like consistent plays to really get into the balance of the game because the uh, it's hard to tell at first whether it's just an imbalanced game or if it's just a game that we don't fully understand yet because the win game the, the win condition of the game is based around purchasing power but purchasing too much power early puts you at a disadvantage and you really need to are encouraged to go after other players but it's a game that there's so many interlocking mechanisms it's hard to know what to focus on and especially a game that with that amount of market variability it's kind of tough to know what to focus on yeah, it's a little bit all over the place, and it is interesting because uh, player versus player combat is allowed in it, and you can essentially go rogue and go pirate. I mean, technically, you're all just competing merchants, picking up stuff and dropping it off, but if you're falling behind in the game, you can totally, it's a totally viable move to try to just uh, ransack other players. You'll get, you'll be wanted by the Sky Marshal, so there's a little bit of push your luck because if the Sky Marshal is drawn from that ill event deck, it could. Uh, be calamitous for you but it's uh it's it could be a wild game it can be fun for a group it's uh reasonably thematic and not too complicated it's sort of a, a mid mid midweight sort of heavy thematic game that is uh reasonably fun there's there's your pull quote for the dice pirates box reasonably fun ian what you've been playing man so i actually recently got the chance to replay villainous um lately which is a disney game put out by ravensburger and the idea of villainous is that you play as one of the many disney villains you have characters like maleficent or ursula or prince john or captain hook you have some of the most iconic villains from the disney animated shows and movies and you get to play as them and try to help them win so for, like if you're prince john you're trying to accumulate wealth if you're maleficent you're trying to put curses everywhere if you're um captain hook you're trying to defeat peter pan and so on and so forth I think it ties in well too with what we're going to be talking about today because of course being a Disney game and having, you know, these characters I think it's something that could definitely be fun to play with kids because it's, you know, has colorful artwork and it's very engaging. I I enjoyed it, but I I did struggle with a little bit as I did last time because it's asymmetric gameplay where everybody plays as a different villain and you're trying to achieve your own goals. But they had to devise an action system that would allow each person to take the same actions, but still achieve their goals in different ways. And I think I think there's a little too much going on with it. It's not as tightly designed as I would I would hope for. And while while I enjoyed it, I think it I think it definitely doesn't perform as well as as it could have. That game, we played it once, and I would actually be interested in playing it again on a game night or if we could, or just on a, or some random occasion if we could get it to the table. What struck me about it is it is really cleverly designed, and it's very interesting, but there is a point in the in the game night where you look up and it sort of feels like there's like four, four or five people sitting around all playing different games mm -hmm. uh, because you're very ingrained in your own little player board and everyone's experience is very different. And there are sort of these, as I recall, there are ways to interact, like hinder other players from time to time. But for the most part, it does feel like just a group of people playing these very separate uh, Disney themed games. It's uh, the game seems to have, gained a lot of popularity and it's really hanging in there. I know they're releasing new versions and expansions. It helps, I think, that the game is a looker. 
It is, I, I like that it's very smartly designed, obviously it has great Disney art, but then they also made this really interesting choice to use these sort of abstracted uh, player pieces that kind of look really cool out on the table instead of just being like a Ursula mini. There's this kind of purple Ursula evocative thing that you're moving around. And there's other little nice touches like that. It's a smartly designed game that does kind of visually pull you in. I think that helps uh, make you want to get it to the table. It definitely goes a long way, and I I definitely want to bring it back. I like you said, there are a lot of expansions that came out. I think there was a Marvel expansion that came out recently, so they have done a lot with it. Of course, you know Disney wants to bring people in, and I think it's a good game to bring to the table if you do have people who are really into Disney as well. So, but yeah, that's what I've been playing. Um, and moving from there, I think we are going to head to our main discussion of games that are good to play with kids. We're going to take a real quick break, and then we'll be right back with that. And welcome back, everyone. So, of course, we're going to be talking about games that you can play with your kids. Now, I know that Aaron and Matt, you both have a lot more experience with this than I do. So I guess my biggest question is, you, what do you look for when you're finding a game that you can play with your kids? Like, how do you decide? Is it entirely based on what they enjoy? Like, how do you know before you pick it up if they're going to enjoy it or not? Is there any way? Um, I mean, for me personally, I like to make sure that the game itself will actually be fun there are a lot of especially anything directly marketed as like quote unquote family friendly or good for kids is usually not going to be anything that is that engaging or interesting um you know it's it's going to be dumbed down to the point of you really not even having to pay attention on your own turn much less anyone else's Yeah, I mean, I think that like playing board games with kids is one of these experiences in gaming that is uh, tends to be dreaded in some people's mind as reputation as just being a an awful way to spend an evening. And I think it's mostly because a lot of the games that we grew up playing as being classic kids games, shoots and ladders, Candyland, stuff like that are just these are not good games and they are a brutal slog for adults when you're a kid especially if you're a very little kid, Candyland is probably colorful enough and uh, reasonably distracting enough to where you're probably having a good time, but your parents are slowly dying inside because there's nothing more awful than Candyland uh, and a uh, game of shoots and ladders that won't end because Johnny just slipped down that one slide right there at the top row. He's back at the bottom now and looks like we're going to go for another 45 minutes. As an aside, uh, I had a I had a copy not of Shoots and Ladders when I was a kid, but I had the weird, disturbing Snakes and Ladders, which is just a whole, which is just a whole thing. Why are we? Why are these snakes? Why are we sliding down the snakes? Uh, I mean, there's just a lot of questions. It raises more questions than it has answers. Let's be honest. You're still looking for the story in Snakes and Ladders. I see. Yeah, exactly. The theme in uh, Snakes and Ladders still does elude me. Uh, but no, it, because of these games are so brutal, I think the experience of playing board games with kids as a whole is something that is uh, has a bad rap. But honestly, playing games with kids can be one of the best things. And honestly, and if you love board gaming like we do, we want to pass this hobby down. So I think it is real important for parents to sort of be a little bit more selective about the games you introduce to because if you pick the right games, you can have incredible family time. You can turn your kids into a lifelong fan to it. And so I thought this would be a great topic for us to dig into, especially now that we're heading into the holiday season. And it's going to be people, a lot of people at home with their kids looking for something to do. Uh, there's your, uh, there is a really a world of good board games out there to play with the, with the kiddos. Absolutely. And I'm definitely interested to see like what sort of games you guys recommend, like you said, especially moving into the Christmas season, you know, you are going to want to do that. Maybe you want to find a game that people will play. So I know that you guys have a bunch of games that you want to talk about. Growing up, a lot of the games that me and my family played uh, were kind of memory games or matching games. Uh, one of the games we really enjoyed was a game called Sherlock, which was a variation on the memory thing, uh, memory game where every like cards would keep coming out and it would keep changing. But a lot of these games are they're, they're really fun to play and they can keep adults engaged as well but they're also a lot more simple and they're a lot easy to, to pick up, which is good because you can have really young people play. But of course, if you want to have something a little bit more engaging or more in depth, you might need to have somebody a little bit older. What are definitely some of the games that you guys really enjoy playing with your kids, but also like, when do you think it's a good time to start? Like how, at what point is a kid able to really comprehend that? 
I mean, for me, I started playing board games with my uh, two boys uh, really as soon as they were able to start to read a little bit. I, I mean, we started playing board games earlier, but obviously we went through that phase of very simple, like kids games, but pretty much as soon as they could read and uh, kind of figure out the symbols on cards and stuff, like I started trying to move them into more interesting games that I thought were more challenging and more stimulating for them. I think one of the things to look for in, in games is uh, stuff with themes that you know is going to spark their imagination, but with gameplay that is more than just roll and move or just very simple mechanics. Uh, kids are smart. They're playing video games at an earlier age. If your kid can play Minecraft, if your kid can play Fortnite, for goodness sakes, they can figure out how to play uh, a decent like midweight hobby game. And so I think it's pretty, I think it, you can move past the uh, Milton Bradley Jr. library pretty fast when they're in like, you know, kind of early elementary school and start doing more robust and fun games. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm glad you did bring up Minecraft because I know a game that you both have played with your kids is actually the Minecraft board game Builders and Biomes. Is that a game that is still engaging for like you guys to play? Like, is that still fun? It's not a game that I would break out at grown-up board game night. It is pretty light strategically. There are enough interesting decisions that you have to make, enough interesting choices. There's there's multiple, like there's three rounds of scoring that are, you know, triggered at different times. And it's, you know, it's it's you, you have the choice of do I want to go after getting a lot of the things that'll get me a little bit of points or just a couple of the things that'll get me a bunch of points each. And I mean, I just, just having that, you know, room to play in puts it so far above your monopolies or your game of life, you know, where it's, it's usually a pretty static decision on your turn. Whereas in builders and biomes, you know, you have, I don't know, like four or five different actions you can do on your turn. And each turn you do two different ones. So even just the start of your turn, you have a lot of interesting decisions that you have to make as you're going that I think really make it a lot more engaging for me. And really, you know, it it helps my son kind of with his decision-making skills of, of weighing his options and considering the the value of pursuing this that'll be a short-term game versus this that might be worth more later but it might not so i i I think that's a a very interesting design choice especially for a kid's game yeah i agree with you completely that's another game that my kids really really love and i think there are two reasons why sort of two tips for parents that tie into that game one is looking for themes that you know they're going to be uh, engaged with. Uh, It's going to be difficult to get your kid uh, to sit down and play, I don't know, some Euro game about like raising sheep in like pastoral Ireland or something. Uh, But, you know, if they're into my, which, you know, I say that. And then honestly, if your kid's into sheep in Ireland, go for it. Don't let me, you know, judge you. But uh, you got to know your audience. And so my kids uh, were and still are huge Minecraft fanatics. And so I knew the game immediately would draw them in visually and make them want to sit around the table and play. But the other thing I think is great about it, and Aaron just touched on this, is it presents uh, decision-making and strategy. So many kids' games are just totally linear, like roll the dice, move your character forward, uh, draw a card from a deck, resolve what happens. There are few, if any, significant decisions really to make along the way. And in fact, a lot of kids' games are discouraging because they're all about like random, inexplicable hardship. I'm sorry, you have to go back to the beginning for no reason. You drew the wrong card. Minecraft uh, board game teaches you a little bit about building strategy and figuring out how you want to play. The kind of 10-cent version of how it works is it's a very loose simulation of the Minecraft board game experiences, uh, Minecraft video game experience. You set up a little modular board of tiles that are face down, and then you go to explore space, and you turn it up, and you discover a biome, and then you can collect the materials you need to build on that space, and you can add the tiles to your individual player board. But you can also uncover monsters, so there's a little bit of fighting, or there's treasure around the periphery of the board that you can go to collect, so you can add weapons and other items to your deck. So it's a mix of exploring, combat, 
uh, building stuff. And all along the way, there's multiple ways to score and valid ways to win. You can win that game by doing nothing but combat and killing enough monsters. You could uh, avoid combat altogether and just work on constructing things to score points. It's just a really fresh thing. And that's something that's great for kids to think through. How do I want to play? How do I want to find a way to win? Or maybe they don't care about strategy at all and they just want to kill that Enderman. That's fine too. Totally valid. So would you say that the Minecraft board game helps establish the building blocks that lead to other games perhaps? Oh, I wouldn't say it. Oh, I mean, I would. I hate to say it because it's such a bad pun. <laughs> um, no, I mean, that makes sense. Like, it, you definitely want to have a game that they'll connect to. But I mean, obviously, like you said, like that doesn't always have to uh, exist like... One of the games I loved playing as a kid was a game called Labyrinth, which was a modular board game where you get to change the maze. You're moving through a maze, and you actually change the maze each turn. You try to find ways. So it's very strategic, but there's no narrative to it at all. At what point, like, how, like, at what point does the narrative not matter to a game? Like, you know, how do you get your kids interested in, or are there games that you find that they enjoy just for the sake of the game outside of the actual story surrounding it? Uh, one of my son's favorite games is a, a little card game called Dungeon Mayhem. That's uh, you know it's licensed. It uses characters from the official Dungeons and Dragons lore, uh, and he cares not one bit about that. Like it's you have a, a guy who is attacking the other guys, and that's really about as far as the narrative carries in that game especially as far as he's concerned and he loves it. I mean, he's, he beats me um, like a lot, like more than he should because he's six and I'm a grown man. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's, and, and even that it, it has a really reduced decision space. Uh, you know, on your turn, you draw one card, you play one card, you have two or three cards in your hand. So it's really just which one of these do I want to play? But it's something that he can grok and understand. You know, I don't. He doesn't have to show me his cards and ask me, "Daddy, which one of these is the best one?" Because it's it's all symbol based. You know, all the cards are symbol based, and the ones that do have words, uh, he can can read enough to know what they're supposed to do. So, you know, the the theme and the narrative of of that is basically non-existent. It, they could just be blank pieces of paper with the little swords and shields on them, and he'd still have an absolute blast with them because he beats me a lot, and he enjoys beating me. Well, I mean, you know, we, we, we all do, Aaron, really, in our own way. Uh, no, I, I totally agree sort of with that, that sometimes theme isn't as important with kids as long as there's some kind of hook to pull them in. Uh, either it could just be the visually the components are like cool and interesting or sometimes there's like a tactile experience that's fun for them and so that makes me think of another game that my kids have fallen in love with is potion explosion and it's one i would highly recommend for families and at first glance it may seem in its own way like a little too advanced for like really young kids because there's kind of a lot to figure out there uh the way you're scoring puzzles and you make potions and the potions have powers and the way you're, I mean, there's, there's, you know, it's not the most complex game, but there's a, a lot to it. It may not at first glance seem like a quote unquote kids game, but one, I think kids will pick it up much more quickly than you think. And two, it's just super fun to play. If you're not familiar with potion explosion, it is a game that basically simulates uh, something like candy crush, uh, a match three puzzle game that you would play on your phone but it does it uh, in real life using marbles and a very elaborately constructed uh, game board that slides marbles down a track. And you grab a colored marble on your turn. And if the resulting row sliding down creates uh, an explosion, you can grab more and create a chain reaction that gives you a huge handful of these marbles, which represent the ingredients for potions that you're trying to make. It's super fun. It's fun to play, it's fun to touch, it's clacky and loud, it's colorful. Uh, the kids love it. Uh, the theme means nothing to them. It has this kind of fantasy alchemy theme where you're combining dragon tears and fairy sneezes to make whimsical potions. And, you know, they could care less about any of that. I'm pretty sure they've taken no time to even consider what exactly they're doing. They know it's potions and then the marbles are fun. And then the matching and creating explosions is great. And so, again, I think that's a super fun one for families. 
it's uh, I think it's good for kids because it's teaching them about patterns and color recognition and basic strategy. And uh, that's one that you could bring to adult game night uh, and just be as fun. So that's truly an all ages game, in my opinion. Yeah, I remember actually getting to play Potion Explosion um, myself. I think we brought that to the table one time, and that was actually a very, very fun game. Um, it's always nice to have those games that everybody can enjoy at the table. I think that's a good tip there is to actually, when you're a parent and you're looking at games, is don't actually limit yourself to games that are specifically marketed and designed for kids. Uh, take a look at the game's uh, mechanics and theme. Read up on it on Board Game Geek, and if you think that it's a game your kids could grasp, or that you could teach them to grasp, give it a shot. You know, it doesn't have to be just like the junior version of every game to bring to the table for your kids. Like we talked about earlier, sometimes th those games have been so stripped of their personality and charm that they're just joyless for everybody. So don't you don't have to feel limited to exclusively kids' games. I mean, obviously, let the age recommendations on a game kind of inform some aspects of your choices, particularly if the content's not appropriate for kids, but don't let complexity uh, push you aside because kids are a lot smarter and a lot quicker at grasping concepts than you think if you are willing to be patient and teach them. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a lot of the reason that like Pixar movies are so loved is because it doesn't just pander to children. It is able to actually hit a wide audience and people like of all ages are able to enjoy it, which is of course very important in board games too. I guess I would ask like, where is the line on complexity? Like we can sit down and we can play a game like Scythe Legacy, which will evolve every time we play it. But do those kinds of mechanics, like can that put like, can that make it harder to play with kids? Like, can you still have a legacy game and play that with a kid? Like, how does that work? Uh, absolutely. There's uh, one my my son's favorite number one with a bullet uh, game is is it's called Zombie Kids Evolution, and it is in fact it's a legacy game that is meant to be played uh, with your kids. It's great. It's you you are kids in a school and zombies are coming and you have to go around the board and take out zombies and lock the, the gates to the courtyard. And then once you have secured the courtyard, uh, locked the gates, then that's the win condition. And if you need to put more zombies on the board than you have, then that's when you lose. So it's it's a co-op game, which uh, co-op games can be really good with kids, even if their complexity is a little bit higher than necessarily what they're, you know, what you think they're, their capabilities may be because in a co-op game, especially a game like this, where there's no hidden secret information, everything's open out on the table. You can help them without it feeling like you are necessarily having to make choices for them or having to just play their part of the game against you. And every, every game that you play, whether or not you win, it doesn't matter win or lose, you have these little brain stickers that you add to this tracker on the back of the rule book. And there are a total of uh, 13 envelopes inside the box. Um, and I'll, I'll spoil it a little bit. So if there's any kids listening, go ahead and tune this out for the next couple minutes. Um, and uh, you know, so the different envelopes will introduce uh, either new rules in general. When you start the game off, it's very, very simple. It's something that uh, I actually had the the weird joy of watching my son explain the game to another kid so they could play it, which I thought was really cool, just with the, the bare bones rules. Um, and then as you go, you unlock basically upgraded versions of the different types of zombies that get added to the board that have different rules. And... Uh, upgraded player powers for all the different characters that come in the box. And it's, I mean, it's to the point where he will sometimes catch us having done something wrong, which is, is both uh, awe inspiring and kind of frustrating because, you know, shut up kid. Teaching your kids to be the rule police early is very important as a gaming family. Uh, a solid appreciation of the rules. No, that sounds fascinating. And I actually think my kids would love to get that to the table. And I like the idea of a legacy game for kids because it could sort of give you an excuse to kind of keep getting that game back to the table and sort of making family time for it rather than it being sort of uh, just random when you play board games. But if you have one that you're kind of committed to working your way through, I think that's a really, really fun idea. Yeah, that, uh, it definitely plays with the, the whole model of, you know, 
intrinsic rewards versus extrinsic rewards because you know the the reward of playing the game is is playing the game but also there's these little envelopes that are taped shut and you want to know what's in them but you got to keep playing the game uh, and there's also challenges in the rule book to play you know with certain player counts or reduce the number of zombies that you start the game with and you can unlock you can when you achieve those missions then those give you trophies which just help speed along the the track to unlock the next envelope so it it encourages you not to just keep playing the game but to keep trying it in different ways and kind of mix up the the rules and all the unlocks that you have use some of them but not all of them which helps add to the variety of it which keeps it you know fresh and interesting especially for my wife and I when we play with them but i mean it's it's definitely our favorite game to play with him and probably his favorite game to play with us. I liked, I really like the idea of co-op games too. And I think that's a huge uh, thing uh, that kids can benefit from one again, to go back to those like kind of dreadful kids games of yore. One of the things that make them so uh, soul crushing for parents and kids is that they are competitive and often brutally. So, I mean, you can lose, uh, you know, you can lose Candyland uh, miserably just because the the another player uh, managed to draw the right number of cards and go straight to the end in like two seconds, and it can be really frustrating. Or to have to like randomly go back pieces, or in a, a game of life where you're just not getting what you need to progress around the board. It's just uh, those games can be miserable, but a co-op game kind of brings the family together to do something. A, a game that I just thought about that I'd like to throw in as a recommendation is a game called Strawberry Ninja. And this one was a Kickstarter game that I'm not sure is how readily available. So if you can find it on Amazon or somewhere, I'd recommend it. It's a very simple cooperative game where you play a little cat trying to work your way through a garden and find the Strawberry Ninja. It's a bit surreal. It's got very strange but interesting art on it. And it's kind of a take on memory. The cards are all face down. And as the uh, cat moves through the garden. You flip cards face up, and you try to see where the ninja is. But then the the cards shuffle randomly each turn. There's kind of a mechanism for sliding them around, so the garden is constantly shifting and moving. You got to find this ninja. It's memory. It's pattern recognition. And it's got cool art. It's a fun one that I think uh, you'll enjoy. And mercifully, it plays fast. That's another thing. Sometimes these games. You know, there are times when my kids will be very engaged with a board game and sit down for an hour or more. But there are other times where 20 minutes is just that sweet spot for like, let's just play a quick game. Yeah, I was even going to ask that, like um, how game length will matter, because, of course, kids attention spans can be wildly fluctuating. You can be really into it. Like growing up, that's why I think a lot of the games that we really enjoyed, like, you know, games like Sherlock, games like uh, Set or uh, Dwarves and Dice, which were set matching games. Uh, Dwarves and Dice, you would roll a couple dice and you would have a color pattern. And then you would have to find a dwarf with that color pattern and, and find those. And those are fun because like they, you know, they enforce, you know, certain goals, like you can still enjoy them with everybody, but also they're very easy to set up and pu- pull down. You can use them as basically a time filler if you want, as opposed to an event. Do you find that you often struggle to set aside enough time for games? Or is it something that like if you build it into a routine that it becomes easier to make that happen? Um, I mean, there are definitely, uh, I mean, even with the, the mass market kids games that just go on and on and on. Um, my, my son has several times will be towards the end of a game of Mousetrap. And at, at the end state of the game is you're both just kind of going around in a circle waiting for one of you to land on the Mousetrap spot while the other one of you lands on the thing to activate the Mousetrap. And there's definitely been a couple times where we both were like, Okay, let's just say that you won because it's been 10 minutes and the game state has not changed at all. The real trap was actually the game all along and you were the mice. Yes, it was definitely not the the friends we made along the way. You know, I had a random aside. I had friends growing up who had uh, Mousetrap. I probably had multiple friends that had it. And I don't recall ever playing the game of Mousetrap. We would just set up the Mousetrap and then watch it go and watch the man flip at the end and like fall down into the thing or whatever. Uh, and then it, it just occurred to me, it's like, I don't even know like how the game is actually supposed to work. We would just play with the, the Mousetrap. It's just a roll and move. You're, you didn't miss anything. 
that's a really good point though like i remember having mousetrap and i think we maybe played it once like i could not give you the rules right now but i very clearly remember setting it up playing it how everything goes together component design feels like a really really big aspect of playing a game with a kid like if you have really strong design it feels like that can take the game a long way i mean you would think that and to a certain extent it's true i think art is important because kids are visual but not necessarily component design because like to go back to a game we talked about earlier that minecraft game has the most bare-boned components that you're ever going to see i mean this the little standees that are your little minecraft people are the most cheap little cardboard little cutout of like steve or whatever that you stick down into a little plastic base and it is actually some of the lowest quality game components that I've seen. But my kids stinking love it. Like they'll sit there and play with the little standees just because they like the art on it. And it's like it's familiar to them of the game. So I think components are important to only to the extent of like as long as it captures their imagination. But they actually don't need all this plastic and excess. It's very funny looking at the board games that are marketed to us as adults and how excessive they are and then like how simple it like what really sparks the imagination of kids is really smart visuals oh you mean how how games designed for grown-ups are just full of little little toy soldiers and how kids don't really need all that uh yeah the, the irony being that adults are more infatuated with the little toy soldiers than the kids are is yes yes that's the brutal irony of i'm trying to point out um one of the the games that my son has that really surprised me how much uh, we both liked it is he has a couple different versions of Monopoly, and I know we've we've all kind of railed against mass market Hasbro games because they are largely all terrible. But they've put out a couple. I mean, they've put out a billion different versions of Monopoly, but the um, the one that we have that he really likes. Uh, we've actually got two. We've got Monopoly Gamer and Monopoly Cats versus Dogs. And the brilliant little tiny addition to both of those games is that they have a fixed length. Um, and, you know, in, in traditional Monopoly, nobody leaves until everyone else is out, which can make that game not only painful to play, but it also means it's going to take the evening that you have set aside to play it. Um, and with, with Monopoly Cats and Dogs, as soon as it, the, the properties are all representative of different traits, like cutest eyes and fluffiest tail, and as soon as one team, because everybody splits themselves either into Team Cat or Team Dog, as soon as between the two teams, every single property on the board has been purchased, the game immediately ends. That's funny. That's very similar to uh, just the Monopoly Junior that Hasbro put out, which is not a fun game. And I don't necessarily recommend it. But uh, if you had to play a version of Monopoly, I would almost say just play this one because it has a very brutal rule variation, which is that when you land on the space, you have to buy it. And if you can't buy it, you lose, you're out. And that's just it. It gets the most like... It's the most soul-crushing version of Monopoly that you've ever seen because, like, you just start going around the board. It's like you land on a space. All right, you bought the ice cream parlor. You bought the skating rink. You bought this thing. Now you're bankrupt. That's reality. That's just how that works. And so it makes Monopoly end in about 25 minutes, which is honestly (laughs) about as much Monopoly as anyone should ever have to play. I think this is where we all realize that we've all been playing Monopoly wrong forever because I actually remember enjoying Monopoly Junior um, a fair bit but I don't, I don't think we ever played that way. I think we just skipped over what we didn't want to buy. Um, but then again, nobody ever plays Monopoly by the rules. So I did kind of want to circle back to a point. You were sort of talking about like game length and kind of getting your kids to like sit down and play games. And it is kind of a challenge at first. I think, uh, you know, we have to, we're competing with screens like ever more. And it is hard to like pull your kids away from whatever other distractions they have and get them to want to play a game. And so early on when I was introducing board games to the kids, we did tend to play shorter games or leave a lot of games unfinished. But the thing is, is that like when you encourage it and you support it and you kind of make it a fun time, they're going to get more and more into it. And now my kids will sit and play very long games. Like uh, we play, uh, we have Wizards of the Coast Dungeon which is their kind of entry-level dungeon crawler. 
I, I have, I, I think that's kind of a mixed recommendation for families. I probably wouldn't recommend it as like a thing to introduce your kids to, cause it's just a bit too brutal and it's dice driven combat. You just, you can lose and lose big and it just cannot be fun. But my kids have been playing enough board games now to where they can roll with the punches a little more. They can think a little more strategically about how to, you know, press, it's a pressure luck game eventually, and they can make smarter decisions and not lose as bad. But the thing about it is it's actually a very long game. And very and recently we played it over the course of like two days. Like we left it set up, like we played it for about an hour and they came back and finished it and played it for like another hour. So like two hours of board gaming over two days. That's a lot of gaming, but they were into it the whole time. Uh, so don't necessarily, I guess the moral of this anecdote for parents is don't necessarily write this narrative in your head that like, oh, my kids would never sit down and play a game. Well, they probably wouldn't sit down and play an hour long board game right now, but they will surprise you at what they kind of adapt to and what they get into. So kind of make some smart choices early and then kind of build up to more complex and interesting games. That makes sense. Like it does, it is something that you have to build up to for sure. And it's hard to just sit down, but you kind of have like, yeah, it's, it's a lot like reading. It really is something you actually have to practice. And you have to build your attention span on. Yeah. You know, as a parent work to create like a fun vibe around the table, you know, keep it positive. Let everyone have a good time. You know, those sort of terrible uh, memories you have of like brutally unfun game nights where somebody gets their feelings hurt and flips the thing. You know, a lot of that can be avoided by just setting a positive tone and being encouraging. And I think that's very, I think that's important for us as parents. Uh, absolutely. Um, to, to go back to Dungeon Mayhem and how much my son beats me, when I play games with my son, and for as long as we've been playing games together, I play at my level. You know, I don't I don't intentionally pull punches or make bad decisions. I may do things that might not work out, but I'll try something different. But, you know, I'm, I'm playing games at the level that I play games at. So the first time he beat me, and I just, you know, almost threw my cards on the ground and stomped out of the room. You know, he lost his mind laughing. He loves playing it now because he knows that he can usually sometimes beat me. And I think that that really helps. Um, you know, one of my best friends always uh, grew up playing checkers of all things with her grandmother. And her grandmother, every single time, just wiped the floor with her. And then one day she beat her and that's like one of her top memories of all time because like, Oh snap old woman, I took you down. And I guess the point of that is like, I kind of want to caution people don't intentionally dumb down what you're doing necessarily because like, like you said earlier, Matt, kids are smart. Kids are really smart. They, you know, my, my son has probably helped my wife with her iPhone based on how well he can navigate around his iPad, you know, so don't be afraid to challenge your kids because they'll really surprise you. And then you'll get mad at them for how good they are. Don't let these punks win. This is the only time where you're going to be able, or you're definitely smarter and stronger than them. Lord it over them and uh, hold it over their heads. That's my advice as parents is really just be a jerk. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, another game I wanted to mention, I think we're just, just kind of hopping around now, but just another game recommendation I have. And I think this is probably uh, my current like all-time favorite uh, kid, quote-unquote kids game is Dragonwood from Game Right, and it's kind of quasi-sequel Dragon Realm. And they are both really interesting fantasy-themed games that are super fun to play uh, with families and kids. Uh, they both are built on the same mechanic, which is kind of like uh, Uno in a way. Essentially, you're building hands of adventures that you play in Uno-like sets of like matching number or matching color or uh, numbers in a sequence. And when you play a set of adventures in uh, that type of a set, you can then roll dice for how many adventures that you just played and then use those dice to resolve some kind of encounter. In the game Dragonwood, it's a very simple card-driven thing where you put out a row of cards in the center of the table that represent the forest and there's different creatures and monsters and you uh, defeat them, you capture them, you don't actually kill them. And you capture them by playing sets of adventures, rolling dice and seeing if you beat the uh, number, number value on the card to beat them. 
uh, in the game Dragon Realm, they kind of kick it up a notch. You still have that kind of same set building or set playing mechanic, but they also add this funky area control thing where now there's like, instead of just uh, rows of like enemies, there are locations out in the center of the table and you play a value to try to sneak in, storm in, or otherwise occupy the location. And then you can place one of your meeples down if you successfully get in. If you get the majority, you score points. So it's a fun area control mechanic with card play. There's magic items and all sorts of theming going on. That one is fantastic. It really has everything I'm looking for in a family game. It's got the kind of evocative, fun art. My kids love it. They love the giggling goblin and all these silly monsters that come out. They, uh, uh, it's got a simple kind of tactile hook. It's like rolling dice and playing cards and doing all these things. And it's actually teaching them, I think, some interesting skills, right? Because it's numbers, it's matching, it's colors, it's making strategic choices. There's all sorts of things in there. And it's one of those games, that's gen- I think it's genuinely fun for adults. I mean, it may be, maybe not... Again, something you'd bring to adult game night and everyone would leave satisfied, but you won't be bored, you know, as a grown up playing this game. Uh, it's very satisfying, very great, highly recommended. I think those are my two, those two games are my number one choices, just kind of collectively. I think for maybe younger kids, uh, early elementary school, or just starting out, I would say Dragon Wood is better because it's, it's, the most simple of the two as they get older i think dragon realm because it adds area control and a little bit more complexity it's just a way to kind of age and kind of keep playing the same game but with a little more depth but i think those two games together are my sort of number one family game recommendation dragon wood and dragon realm from game right okay so if i was like for instance you know just as a hypothetical like if i was a uh... A person looking at these two games on Amazon right now, uh, maybe someone who hasn't finished up their Christmas shopping for their their kids. Uh, if if you had to pick one, oh boy, that is tough. Uh, if I had to pick one, I would probably pick Dragon One. Uh, it's probably more affordable of the two. If I had to guess, I haven't looked on Amazon recently, but I bet you could get. Uh, Dragon Wood for less than twenty. Uh, Dragon Wood for less than twenty bucks. Fifteen. Yes, yeah, fifteen. So I would say it's probably cheaper than Dragon Realm. It's quicker to set up, quicker to play, quicker to teach, and more accessible. Particularly if uh, you know a kid is like under eight, under seven, I would definitely recommend Dragon Wood. Dragon Realm uh, is a little bit spendier, but not much. But it's got like wooden meeples. There's a little bit more setup and there's a little bit more to learn. So if you're, uh, but that said, if you're a board game playing family that's, you know, already kind of familiar with different types of mechanics and want something with a little bit more depth and complexity, if they're, you know, eight and older, 10 and older, I think Dragon Realm is probably the way to go. But they're both, uh, they're both really good. It'd be hard to, uh, make a mistake depending on which one uh, you get. Those both sound actually really interesting. I love games that are able to take a lot of these tried and true mechanics and um, put them in the game that's really easy to digest and play a lot of. Um, there's a game that I, I would actually recommend. It's a game that I played a lot with uh, uh, my younger siblings uh, the last time I was up. It's called Battleship. And it is actually really fun. It introduces a lot of like area control um modular game tiles like a lot of you know you have to plan your turn ahead you have a modular board game that you know has tiles on it and you stack all of your sheep into one tile and then you can move along a row as far as the row goes until you hit the wall and every time you go you leave one sheep behind and you're trying to establish as much control over an area as you can and block your opponents it's a very easy game it's very simple to set up but the depth of strategy it provides is so good. And even if like you have a really strategic mind, even playing against like kids, you can easily get outmaneuvered and you can find yourself in a position you didn't expect to be. So I think that's a fun one to pick up if you are looking to introduce your kids to more like more complicated mechanics, but something you can enjoy yourself. Would you say that that game is essentially uh, the light cycles from Tron, but with Trails of Sheep instead of Trails of Light? It's a lot like that, actually. It's a very similar type of game. Sheep cycles, is that what it is? Sheep, sheep cycles. Yeah, no, it's it's fun. I definitely like that one a lot. Aaron, is there a game like that you would definitely recommend as like your top game? 
Uh, top game, I, I would definitely have to go with uh, Dungeon Mayhem. It's very fast playing. You can get through a game in 15, 20 minutes, probably. Um, if that, it, it does have player elimination. So, you know, if I know that's that's definitely one of my least favorite mechanics in a game, but it, it definitely helps that it plays so quickly. Um, and it's, you know, that there's there's only a couple cards in each deck that require you to be able to read the card and understand what it says by itself. But those cards also have unique symbols. So once you're, you know, if your kids aren't super strong with reading, you know, uh, especially some mechanical words that, that crop up in board games, uh, it is still, you know, once they've played it a, a time or two, they'll have learned enough to memorize, okay, so I know that this card does this effect just based on that symbol that's there. So it, you know, and, and since you play the one card each turn, they have to kind of figure out, okay, so if I can do this one, then that'll do that, but I need to do this because that's more defensive play and I'm kind of low on health. Um, I, I think it, it has enough depth and strategy to be fun for mom and dad without being so shallow as to be almost an insult to you or your kids. I think that's what we all want, ultimately, out of games. Let's just not insult anybody. Can I throw out an honorable mention, uh, actually? Uh, this is a game that is uh, that my kids love. I, and I don't think it's great, and I can kind of critique it as like a game board game nerd, but it's just fun to sit down and play, and that's Shadows in the Forest. And apparently, I didn't know this until I started doing some Googling on it, but apparently it's a remake of a fairly beloved uh, German uh, kids game from uh, Days of Yore, which actually involved the use of a tiny tea light candle that you would light. And I love the idea that some board game manufacturer in the 60s in Germany was like, you know what kids like? Fire. Let's, uh, let's make a game where lighting an open flame is a part of it. But no, essentially uh, what Shadows in the Forest is, is a game that you play in the dark. And there is a board with three dimensional like cardboard trees. And uh, one uh, side, uh, one player or one group of players play the Shadowlings, these little mysterious creatures that live in the forest and you hide them in the nooks of these cardboard trees. And uh, another player, usually the parent in this case, will play will play the seeker that is moving uh, through the forest to find them. And the player piece is actually an LED lantern that lights up. And so the idea is that you're trying to slowly move around this board on a path and try to find uh, the little shadowlings hiding in the trees. Meanwhile, the players are trying to move the shadowlings into one single space. And if they can, can get all of the shadowlings into a hiding spot, they win. There are several things about this that just make it so great for kids. The component design is amazing. It's just a beautiful, like fun game when it's all set up with the little 3D trees. The shadowlings are these weird anime looking shadow creatures that are just fun and cool to look at. Uh, the whole thing is great when you're in the dark, you turn the lantern on and the trees really cast like long tree like shadows across there. And even the dice, even the die that you play with glows in the dark, which is just a great touch. Uh, the only reason I give it an honorable mention instead of making it be my actual recommendation is that the rules are a bit vague and weirdly written. It is, there's these things like, it sort of presumes that you have a perfectly dark space in your house that you can play play this in because otherwise you're actually going to be able to see the shadowing with your naked eye in most cases. And so there's a little bit of suspension of disbelief you have to do as the parent of going like, I can't see your shadowings. Where could they be? You know? And so it's a, uh, you know, it's a game that you, it's more like an experience that you play together, but man, my kids love it. There's really nothing like it. You do have to find somewhere in your house that's like reasonably dark or totally dark. Like the last time we played this, we went into a hallway bathroom and shut the door. We put a blanket down on the tile floor. We were cramped over there by the toilet and sink playing it. That was the best time playing it actually because it was almost completely dark. In general, though, we've had to play it at night or somewhere, but there's always light coming in. So it's it's a little bit challenging. It's hard to have that ideal experience with it, but it's just so fun. It's so different. Uh, I really highly recommend adding it to your collection. It's just something because your kids are going to remember it. And it's just, it's, it's a, it's a cool game. It's a cool concept. I love games that really provide an experience because that is what you're going to remember more than anything for sure. Before we go, uh, I do want to ask you both what game you're planning on playing over Christmas with your family. 
That's a great question. Um, actually, we're probably going to play almost – the reason I kind of hesitated because we're probably going to play all of the games that we just listed here uh, probably about a million times. The only other game that we haven't talked about yet that I know we'll probably play is uh, Catan Jr., which is one of the few junior games of a known game that's not completely awful. It's not great. I don't love it, but uh, the kids really like it. It's got a cool pirate theme. It bears virtually no resemblance to Catan, which cracks me up. It's, it's, it's one of these things that's like, I feel like somebody pitched a fun pirate-themed game to like whoever publishes this and they were like this is really cool and all but we're going to call it katana jr because it's going to sell like a million more copies than if we call it fun time pirate adventure yeah that was that was on my my list of honorable mentions myself it, it does feel like somebody had katan explained to them on a bad cell phone connection and then they based a kids game version of that game that they heard about but i mean the the components are are top notch. The you have a little little pirate hideouts and the pirate ships that are excellently sculpted, and even the the tokens that represent the different resources that you trade are these big, thick, chunky cardboard tokens that that feel substantial. Which um, and I mean the game is not it's not terrible, which is a lot more than you can say for a lot of kids games. Yeah, and then my kids have actually been asking me to play. Uh, something that's not really a kid's game. They've been begging me to play Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, they know that we play D&D and they really want to have a D&D like experience. So I'm probably going to drag down uh, the Dungeons and Dragons adventure system board game, which is a full on, you know, quote unquote, grown up board game. But it's at the end of the day, it's actually super simple. I mean, you move, you roll some dice to attack a monster, you play some cards. I think that's going to be a great way to introduce them to like, more complex like combat and role playing there's really nothing in it that's like super inappropriate for kids i mean i think the first mission uh does involve a massacre site as one of the locations so we might skip that one uh massacres are not like the most kid themed uh themes but uh i think we're gonna actually play some uh one of the uh quote-unquote grown-up games just to uh because they're sort of uh they're ready to move up the board game food chain a little bit that's great. And yeah, I mean, any game really can be a kid game as long as, you know, you're willing to take the time and everyone's going to enjoy it. Because that's the most important part, right? Is that, you know, especially during this time, everyone's enjoying themselves and everyone has a really good time. And I definitely hope you guys both have a great time over Christmas playing games with your family. And that is our episode on games that are great to play with kids. I feel like we almost even morphed into more of a family board games type discussion at the end there. But I definitely picked up some games that I think I want to try playing with uh, my family as well, because some of those actually sound really fun. Um, I want to extend a huge thank you once again to Aaron for jumping on the podcast, because we would be lost without you, without your additional knowledge. Happy to, happy to be here and offer my expertise on what to do when you don't have any friends. I wouldn't know anything about that, unfortunately, but I appreciate you <laughs> telling me how it is. Says a man alone in an apartment. Look at all your friends there behind you. <laughs> like I, I have, I have my cat and my other cat, and then my third cat, and we have a good time. There's nothing sad about that at all. It's man and his cat. Join us next week as we talk about games to play with your pets. I mean, I'm open for suggestions, honestly. Cats love cats love Roombound. I mean, it's a known fact. I, just, <laughs> I knew you were going to bring it in somehow. No, the, I've continued my streak of mentioning Roombound in every episode. I found a way. <laughs> So unfortunately, like, you know, we are reaching the end of the year. This is going to be our final episode of 2020. I very much enjoyed getting to do this. It's been really fun to get to just talk about board games. We may take an extra week or two break over the holidays. I don't know exactly when we'll be back, but we are looking forward to coming back next year. I think we have some fun stuff planned for it. I'm excited. Matt, how do you feel about things? Oh, yeah. I, this has been a blast. I continue to be so uh, amazed and uh, grateful that anybody out there in the world is listening to this. And if you're enjoying it, learning about games, geeking out about games with us, uh, I'm uh, just uh, really glad and humbled. Uh, I guess this is kind of the end of season one in a way. We're going to take a little bit of an extended break, but we'll be back in January with uh the next episode and more uh mildly inane uh chatter about board games absolutely if you enjoy us leave us a review on itunes leave a comment let us know that you're listening or get in touch with us 
Um, Matt, how can people reach out to us? You can find us on the gram at Dice Pirates on Instagram. That's our main uh, social media hub. Uh, we're also on Facebook and Twitter, but uh, we're most active on Instagram. So go check us out there, like and comment on our posts or send us a message. We will actually talk to you if you send us a message. I promise. And we'll even be friendly. That's a, that's a Dice Pirates guarantee. Definitely reach out. Let us know what you're playing with your family over Christmas. And we look forward to seeing you soon next time on the Dice Pirates. Goodbye. Goodbye.